Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Slice of Healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Dr. Mark Katz, a Caribbean Med graduate, internal medicine provider, and future cardiologist. We talked a lot about the match and many of the other things that go into becoming a physician, and it was really great to hear Dr. Katz's thoughts on why he went into medicine and what he's trying to do with the social platform that he's building. So without further ado, let's bring him on. Hello. Hello, Mark. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks so much for for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Great. So I wanted to start off, I would love if you could just give the audience a little bit about your background and uh, we can kind of go into a couple questions and... We'll make it short and sweet, but I think we'll get a lot of information, and I think a lot of people will learn from from this podcast. So, sure, yeah. Um, I'm originally from uh, Jersey. My family's actually from South Africa, though. I uh, went to SUNY Binghamton undergrad, Ross University, uh, Caribbean Med School, uh, and most of my clinicals in Brooklyn. Now I'm in Drexel, uh, Philadelphia, for my internal medicine residency, and I'm currently applying for and interviewing for cardiology fellowship when i'm outside the hospital i like to stay active play basketball uh have a regular poker game and long term i hope to use my social media platform to build a cardiovascular disease uh educational resource for medical students and residents and long term i hope to use it to ultimately build a patient education very interesting. <laughs> now, was this this social media platform that you're building? And for the audience, I'll I'll put your social media handle in there. But so you have close to fifteen thousand Instagram followers right now. Was that always? Did you always know that was like one of your goals for for growing the social media account? Was based on what you just told me? Um, I think in in the back of my mind that that was the reason why I even bothered to get an Instagram account. Um, you know, it started off with just my blog that I wanted to help students and residents when I moved up uh, um, know what I wish I knew earlier in my stage of training. Because, you know, what they always say is uh, the best mistakes are <laughs> learning from someone else's. And I've got a whole lot of writing, uh, writing material. Uh, so I think that I, so I started off with blogging and using Twitter just to kind of reach out to the rest of the medical community. And Instagram was just part of the landscape that exists today that I think you kind of have to be a part of, especially because a lot of uh, different generations ingest their medical or, or a lot of their knowledge or information today from different resources. Uh, so I think joining the Instagram community was just a kind of a byproduct of, of uh, needing to continue to expand and keep up with social media game, but also it's kind of fun. Yeah. And do you, do you feel you've also had the opportunity to kind of expand your, your medical and non-medical network as well? Uh, you know, I, I think that's probably been the most fun aspect of the whole, of the whole social media game uh, with regards to medicine is that I've been able to, 
you know, meet my hashtag Philly Med fam, which is just a bunch of other Instagram doctors who are active on social media within the Philadelphia area. And I've been able to meet other people from New York. Um, and I've been able to meet people who are in such different specialties. You know, Austin Chang in uh, advanced endoscopic gastroenterology, um, other individuals in neonatology, um, and even Drexel, other Drexel med students um, who I otherwise wouldn't have interacted with. And they're really great people. Um, so I think that's been just an awesome part of the whole social media thing is being able to meet other people within the realm of medicine. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I've really been monitoring it over the last year or two. It mm -hmm. just seems like more medical professionals are really getting active on social media. And you're starting to see these, you know, whereas they, they were having smaller follow, uh, mm -hmm. followings. And then you look at them six months later and they have several thousand followers and they're interacting and engaging. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's, you know, having gone through the process of building a following, it is kind of it is really interesting seeing how people go from, uh, you know, 500 followers and then a month later they're at 10,000. But um, it's also what I what I enjoy particularly is seeing each, you know, how each person brings something different and everyone tries to at least be true to themselves mostly. And I've seen that a lot of people who are successful are able to find a niche, niche, no niche, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, fill that, whether it's a, whether it's a pre-med person um, talking to high school people or a, a, a medical student who's trying to help people get into uh, medical school. I think it's, it's really awesome seeing people reach out and build their audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I like your, uh, your blog as well um you, you you put good content i like that you don't just over provide content mm. either i feel like that's in the blogging space that's that's a major issue it's either not really? enough or or too much and mm. uh, I, I like uh i like the content that you put out how do you find time to write um you know i think it's kind of similar to anything in med in med school residency or you know taking that side of medicine anyone who has a high a, a very demanding job or career that you do what you enjoy and you, you, you know, people say that you don't have time for things, but, you know, tell me how you spend your time and you're, you're finding time for your other passions, you know, uh, likewise, you don't have time to spend with extra time to spend with your friends and family, but you got to make time. So at the end of the day, I enjoy writing. Um, I've been writing a little bit less recently because of, you know, cardiology uh, research and, you know, work has been a little bit more hectic going on interviews and everything. Yeah. But but you got to you find time. Yeah, I enjoyed your last post uh, for everyone out there. Definitely check us out. The how to match into dermatology interview yeah. with a dermatology resident. And uh, it really stood out to me because when I was first reading it, I, I saw Broward Health Medical Center mm -hmm. in the beginning. And uh, I was literally just down there <laughs> probably. A, yeah, about a year ago, uh, just kind of visiting mm -hmm. with some of the hospitals down there, talking with some people. And uh, beautiful. I don't. I don't know if you've ever been down to that that area where that medical um, facility is, and that mm. kind of campus of all the surrounding facilities. But very cool area. Mm. Yeah, I've spent some time in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, but I haven't been uh, been there. But yeah, I think uh, I, what I appreciate about all those interviews is being able to share exactly what everyone's thinking, what every med student is thinking. You know, there are 
your med school will say, oh, you, you'll do fine in the match. Just, just do well. Other, me- other med schools might, you know, like mine, uh, being Caribbean, will say apply to more than, le- than fewer. And it's just nice being able to see like, oh, wow, someone else struggled to get into Durham three times. Someone else failed step one. Uh, someone else wanted to go to Obigain but ended up in Peds. So I, you know, I think that's just another aspect of blogging is giving, giving, giving med students and residents or future residents, um, you know, a, a reference point or, or someone else to see that other people have done what they want to do and that it is possible. How much paperwork is involved with matching? Oh my god, <laughs> um, not that much paperwork. It's just um, how much time? Oh man. Say. Uh, I think for residency, it was a lot, it was a lot harder. And I think I say that because first it's, it's so much more anxiety inducing. Don't get me wrong. Got a whole lot of uh, angst built up for the fellowship match, but I think it's, it's harder during the residency match because even for me, you know, I want to go into cardiology hundred percent, but worst case scenario, I still get to be a doctor at the end of the day, if I don't match, you know, which is still my dream, you know, which is awesome. But and a lot of the paperwork kind of follows follows through from residency. You can kind of like click forward a little bit, but for for uh, I'm sorry for for the fellowship one, but for residency, you know, you got to communicate with the med school. It's it's a lot of work getting everything done in a timely manner. And I think the most anxiety inducing thing for me was getting the letters of recommendation because you know you remind your attendings and they know they've been doing these this thing for years, and then inevitably someone uploads it late, and then you're anxious about. Um, you know, oh shoot, my letter wasn't uploaded appropriately in time. Should I submit my application or not? So a lot of it, I think, is just uncertainty. But that's the that's the name of the game when it comes to the match. Interesting. Yeah, I've been doing a little bit of research into it. I mean, being on the non-clinical side of it, mm-hmm. um, it does not seem fun. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of uh, like how sororities in college used to. Uh, go through a rush. Like we rank everyone, they rank us, and they spit out a list of who, where you end up. I think that's something too that uh, people that are so early on in their medical journeys, mm-hmm. like that want to be uh, physicians, mm-hmm. I think that's something they don't even realize. Mm-hmm. That like, I think some people believe that you know, no matter what, if they want to go into this specialty with this focus. You know, if they work hard, they'll be able to do it. Mm. But if, if they don't match, right, you mm. really can't. Is, that, yeah. is there tr- truth to that? I think if, you, you know, to even taking a step back, I think I, I didn't really truly understand the match until later on in my, in, in getting in, into my first, second year of med school. Um, you know, I think there was a running joke in my uh, Binghamton, in my undergrad newspaper, and it was this cartoon, and it's, it, the joke was, what do you call someone who graduates from the, from the, in the bottom of their med school class? And the answer is doctor. But really, the answer is unemployed. Because if you, if you graduate med school, congrats, you're a medical doctor by name. But if you don't get a residency, you're just unemployed. And you just plunked down potentially up to a quarter mil. And now you're just in debt and unemployed. And bringing it back to your original question of, you know, what happens if you don't match into it? Um, Thank, whether you, however you look at it, there, there are a lot of unma- unfilled residency positions every year, more so in the primary care fields. But, uh, 
you know, if you, if you're talking to someone who wants to go into neurosurgery, which is probably one of the most competitive fields along with, you know, dermatology, radiology, ophthalmology, uh, I, you know, some neurosurgeons might rather be unemployed than be a primary care physician. Um, <laughs> you know, no knock on primary care. I'm, you know, I would be happy to go into it. That's what I initially went into medicine for is to go into family medicine. But, um, there's a huge chance that if you don't do well in med school, that you could potentially end up without a, without a residency spot. And I think that's one of the biggest anxieties that a lot of med students have. And the biggest issue is, is that a lot of those really competitive residencies, they want you to have great step scores, you know, on your board exams, but then you all, you know, a lot of urology uh, people that I know uh, from med school, they took a year off to do research and to buff up their resume and, just like the Benny from my dermatology in, uh, um, interview uh, from my blog, he took two years of research and he was already a PhD, which is crazy. Like he's a, <laughs> he was already a, he was a, he's a doctor, doctor. And I can't believe he's, he wasn't qu not, wasn't qualified enough, but that he couldn't get a position until this year. So it's definitely a challenge. So I do think it's important though, because like you said, this wasn't something early on in your journey that you even looked into mm. how do we how do we like get that message out even earlier to people like mm. i mean i think having blogs like yours and, and social media platforms and more people in the community talking about it on mm. a regular basis that's that's how i would see like getting that message out to the younger generation mm. what, are there any other ways that you feel that that message i mean I'm a big believer in mm. if you can know something early, mm. even if it's not relevant to you yeah. at the time, it, mm. it just allows you to plan ahead. Yeah. Yeah. For, I, I completely agree. I mean, as, awareness is definitely one tactic that we need to engage in order to make people aware. And I think it really also has to be an institutional thing that when people are applying to medical school, um, I, I guess looking back at it, it's been seven years since I or eight years or so since I applied to med school. So a lot has changed even just in those eight years with MCAT and pre-med requirements and whatnot. So I would, I would hope that medical schools are both, you know, trying to be honest with applicants about why they should, you know, go to their med school, but also just giving them uh, a good, understanding of what you should be looking for in a med school uh, and including in that information what their residency match rates are and specifying why that's important because I remember I was on a uh, uh, not a board but a uh, a venue where I went as a representative of Ross University where I went to med school and we talked to pro, pro like uh, students who had you know who were applying to med school and, you know, they were able to ask us questions. And as a recent grad, I was able to give them a little bit more of a, a specific perspective. And a lot of them were raising great of what's the anatomy lab like? Uh, what are the lecture schedules like? And, you know, they were going, they were talking about these great, you know, bringing up great points that every med student who, or pre-med student who's applying to med school should bring up during their uh, application or interview cycle. But I think one of the big picture points that I tried to make to them was all that's great, but it all just builds up to your residency application and look at the, look at the statistics. And, um, I, I think 
I'll, I'll suffice to say, I think the medical schools need to try to bring that to the forefront and make that known what their residency match rates are. Interesting. How, how often throughout your education and still even today, uh, are they using like new types of technology to teach? That's, that's been something I've been wondering about a lot lately. Um, Hmm. Like, are you doing anything with like augmented reality, you know, the virtual reality in your learning? Um, me, not so, not so much since as a resident, I'm just in trenches and I don't think anything can really, at the end of the day, I don't think anything can, can replace just good old fashioned patient experience and patient volume. You know, you just need to see a hundred patients with pneumonia in order to know how to treat the ins and outs of it and all of its complications and yada, yada, yada. But what I have seen is that maybe some med schools are using um, d- these types of technologies. I couldn't tell you for sure. I know that certain programs that I was, I've been looking at for cardiology and likewise, other specialties I've heard have simulators, whether it's gastroenterology for scopes or colonoscopies, cardiology, looking at virtual echocardiography and catheterization so that it really the benefit is that it gives me as a future cardiologist, more comfort in looking at the different windows of the heart and knowing how to hold the probe and knowing what I'm looking at and being able to feel comfortable doing the kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of, I remind, it reminds me of the first time you open up your iPhone, you know, the first time you ever had a smartphone, it took you like a week just to be able to yeah. know, know how to go to general settings and change the, change your fonts and add a different keyboard. You know, all those little things that don't really change how you're talking to your friends or being able to make a call or be able to use the internet or send an email on your phone. It's just you being able to access what the tools you need. So I think that's going to be really valuable in um, at least with fellowship training. And I'm sure it will continue to expand with, uh, you know, resident medical school education. But I think that we, you know, overall, patient experience is probably at the forefront, but couple that with using advancing technologies to allow those to accelerate the troubleshooting process of learning a new tool or technique. That was a great analogy to the, (laughs) the iPhone too. You're right. I mean, (laughs) it is one of the most confusing things. I think that's also half the reason why going back to the iPhone that people don't switch. (laughs) It's like, Oh geez, I have to learn a whole new, I know. Every time I look at it, go for an interview and uh, they're like, oh, we use Epic and I kind of cringe. And they're like, because Epic is one of the best electronic medical records. And I just kind of cringe because I'm like, oh, I'm not going to change my rank list by any means, but I'm used to Cerner and I really don't want to go from Android to iPhone. But, you know, if I have to. <laughs> yeah, that's another good analogy. Yeah. they. Uh, it's how do we do that's something i've always wondered too so a big big reason why it's like the healthcare we start is i really want to talk more about healthcare innovation mm. you know when when it's appropriate and that's been something i've been wondering a lot about how do we because when you like moving forward and stuff when you start an assignment mm-hmm. and everything they're going to come in they're going to train you on the new whatever mm. emr they use what's uh how are, how can you learn that ahead of time because that, that still takes like, oh, yeah. I mean, especially if you're doing like uh, locum tenens assignments mm. down the road, you have mm. to be trained like, you know, at every facility. And that takes a day or two in some cases. It, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And um, 
that's what intern years, unfortunately, a lot about is just maneuvering the healthcare system, maneuvering the electronic medical record. Um, and unfortunately, you know, you can do all the training seminars you want, but, you know, until you have to order a specific test and then link it to a specific problem and then follow up with it and know how to maneuver it until you have like one week of just being inundated with <laughs> um, clinical work. I, I think it's just experience. I, I wish I had a better yeah. answer for you. If you find out, let me know though. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I think you're right. Like if you watch a new technology on TV, mm-hmm. least, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to use it. Yeah. Like, I think you're right. You need to touch it. You need to feel it. You need to really get, get used in, to it for sure. Very interesting. I want to. I want to ask you this. Uh, well, we can wrap up shortly. But what are some ways that you've seen right now that you feel we can innovate in healthcare? That can be either on the healthcare professional side or on the patient focused side. Right now. Um. You know, I think the the easiest answer I have is what I plan on building in my future. I think that when it comes to medical professionals, uh, especially in this current age of misinformation, I think that physicians, it's our responsibility to be a trusted source of information. You know, I started my um, my blog and I initially made the name My Cats um, because I know that there are a lot of Dr. Katzes out there, but I wanted my patients to be able to say, well, this is my Dr. Katz. You know, this is, this is the information I got from him. And... It's similar to the fact that, you know, I've had patients and I'm sure every doctor has the same patients where they come in and they say, well, lawyer said on TV, I shouldn't be taking this medicine because it could kill me. And I want it to be one doctor who I'm not saying I want to be on TV by any means, but it would be nice if, if a patient said, you know, I was going to stop taking this medicine. But then I read Dr. Katz on his blog, he said, or on YouTube or Instagram or whatever platform it may be that I should talk to my doctor first. And I, you know, it's just like my blog that, or social media that if I have one individual who reach out, reaches out to me and says, Hey, thank you so much for this blog. Thank you, whatever, for this piece of advice. It really helped me get some perspective, ease my anxiety, motivated me to apply to med school. It takes one person to make all the effort worth it. So I think that if we could ultimately move forward with, uh, having physicians be a little bit more active in, uh, advancing patient outreach and patient education, it would be wonderful. But I think in order to do that, we really have to study how we are digesting and uh, how people get their information. Because, you know, patients in 40 years, like the children that are growing up today, are going to get their medical advice from their doctor, I bet that they follow on Instagram, and they're going to see what food they're cooking, and that they're active and exercising. And seeing the lifestyle, the healthy lifestyle choices, along with the six months of medical school that we narrow down and uh, condense into, please take your aspirin and Plavix. So I think I would like to first study what is the best mechanism out there to help reach out to different age groups. You know, how a 20-year-old listens to their doctor might be Instagram. But a seven-year-old might not be on the gram so much. Maybe they need a pamphlet. Maybe a two-minute entertaining YouTube video would be more beneficial. Who knows? Um, But I think that's the biggest thing that I would like to do moving forward and ultimately build that into some type of patient educational platform because I'm sure every doctor would agree that the amount of time you have with your patients is always inversely proportional to the amount of time they need. 
um, you know, you could always spend more time in there with your patients. So I think there's a lot of room for patient education, patient outreach, but there's a lot of other exciting uh, technologies that are advancing uh, in every field of medicine. But at the end of the day, I think that, um, you know, for every cent we send, we, we spend on preventative care is a dollar saved or something like that. So um, my goal is to build something to help prevent that heart attack, but then, you know, also treat it once it happens. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. That's, that's my shtick. Definitely look forward (laughs) to uh, learning more about that. We'll, would love to have you on again at some point to yeah. uh, talk about how your healthcare career has been progressing and other ideas and just other hot topics within healthcare. Where can people learn more about you? You can get me on my blog. Uh, it's mykittycats.com, uh, Instagram, kittycatsmd, likewise, Twitter, kittycatsmd. And if you ever need to shoot me an email for a little bit more personalized advice, uh, you can reach my email through any of those spots or just leave a comment uh, anywhere up in there. Okay, great. And I'll I'll add all those links into the show notes for this podcast as well. But well, thank you so much again for for coming on the podcast and sharing some great advice. I'm sure the listeners will will love it and uh, definitely have to have you on again at some point. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always love uh, talking about myself, so I'd be happy to do that again uh, some other time. <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of a podcast, right? <laughs> like you can talk about yourself, and it's like, well, I'm not talking about myself. Someone asked me to come on the podcast to talk <laughs> yeah, about yeah. myself. I'm helping the community by <laughs> yeah, talking absolutely. about myself. Absolutely, that's that's the best way to put it for sure. So, but thank you again so much, and uh, we'll we'll definitely be in touch. All right, take care, man. All right, bye. Thank you to everyone who tuned in for another episode of Slice of Healthcare. Please be sure to follow us on our social channels. On pretty much every social channel, it's at Slice of Healthcare. On Twitter, it's at Slice of HC. We don't use that much, but we will answer if anyone tweets at us or sends us a message there. Also, for those of you that are listening on iTunes, please be sure to head over to iTunes, leave us a rating slash review. We'd really appreciate the support and feedback. And if you're interested in being a, a guest on the podcast, please reach out at uh, sliceofhealthcare at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram or any of our other channels, and we'll get right back to you. Thanks, and everyone have a great day. The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android.